So as we get started with Daniel chapter 3, let me ask you, do you know any bandwagon fans? Uh, So a bandwagon fan is someone who jumps in with a sports team when that team is winning and everything's going well, but they're really not committed. Like the moment things are not going well, they're getting off the bandwagon. They're not going to be with, with that team anymore. So here's where I have to be really careful. My family moved to New Orleans in 2005 for the first time. Amanda and I moved down there to 2005. Now this was great timing because this is the same time that Drew Brees came in to New Orleans and started playing for the Saints. The Saints were terrible for most of their history as a football team. There are even pictures of fans coming in wearing brown bags over their heads because of how bad the Saints football team was. They were terrible. And, you know, coincidence or not, Amanda and I show up in New Orleans and they get really good. I don't know if it had anything to do with Drew Brees or, you know, or Sean Payton or anything like that, but they show up there and we jump on the Saints bandwagon with everything we have. Now I find myself in a sticky situation. <laughs> like, uh, do, do, have I made the commitment in such a way that whatever happens in the coming years, I've got to stay on the Saints train because it's not looking good uh, for, for coming years. We lost Drew. This thing could really spiral out of control for a while. And we've got to determine, are we really in this for the long haul or did we just enjoy the Saints bandwagon while things were going well? It's not just sports. This happens in our spiritual life. Our religious life. This happens to you in your businesses, in your families, in places that, that you operate around, around the community and in and, and different relationships you have. People are with you when things are going well, but who's with you when things don't start to go so well? Or people are committed to church and they're committed to following the Lord while things are going well, but what happens when everything falls apart? What happened when life doesn't go the way you want it to go? Are you a bandwagon fan? You're like, okay, like Kyle Eidelman says in his book, are, are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? Am I in this for the long haul or is this just because it's popular and my family wants me to do this and it seems to be an okay thing to do? This morning as we look at Daniel chapter 3, I want to give you three phrases that people say who have faith that lasts through difficulty, have faith that perseveres. These are three phrases you can hold on to. Let's jump into it. Daniel 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Okay, a couple things to watch for as you go along. Watch how often... Nebuchadnezzar is called a king in this chapter, and it's actually a kind of a shot at him because he's not going to look very popular or powerful by the end of the, end of the chapter, but he's going to be called a king several times. The word image is going to show up several times in this chapter. It is reflecting Genesis chapter 1. God created people in his own image. He didn't create people to turn around and create other images, idols, but Nebuchadnezzar is going to do that several times in this chapter. This whole plain of Babel, Babylon is picking up on the Genesis chapter 11, Tower of Babel story. What you are going to read in, Gen- or in Daniel chapter 3 here is tied so closely to the Tower of Babel story in Genesis chapter 11. Write yourself a note in your journal or your Bible. Make that connection. Daniel 3 and Genesis 11, those two stories are playing together. They're, they're living in the same world here. Verse 2, then King Nebuchadnezzar 
sent to gather together. Just like we've gathered to worship the Lord today, he is gathering these people together. He's going to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now you're going to find those words repeated. There's a lot of repetition in chapter 3. And part of that is to set up a contrast between how great God is in this story and how weak Nebuchadnezzar and everybody else he could bring along with him is. So you're going to find some repetition that frankly is probably going to be a little frustrating to you as we read it over and over again. That repetition is on purpose because it's setting up a contrast between everything King Nebuchadnezzar could throw at the story and how great God's actions are in the story. Watch again how many times the phrase set up shows up, that this is the work that Nebuchadnezzar has done to set up this idol. Watch what happens in verse 3. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now think about how strange this is. This whole image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up, kids, it's not a chocolate bunny. I know you may have seen the VeggieTales story. Uh, great VeggieTales episode, but it's not a chocolate bunny that he sets up here. It's a statue made of gold. Here's what's interesting. Back in chapter 2, last week when we were looking at the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, how much of the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream was made out of gold? Just the head. Just part of the statue. Now what does Nebuchadnezzar do in chapter 3? He makes a statue that's entirely of gold. It's his way of saying, my kingdom is never going to end. <laughs> my kingdom is never going to surpass. I'm going to make a statue that's completely out of gold and gather all these people together to worship it. It, it creates unity in his empire. So, then you get down to verse 6. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now you jump over to Jeremiah chapter 29 and read later at the end of Jeremiah 29, you find out this is not just a threat. This is something that actually happened. You'll find references at the end of Jeremiah chapter 29 to this happening. And when you think about this fiery furnace in your mind, the shape of this furnace, most archaeologists and scholars think it would have been having a cone shape similar to nuclear uh, plants and reactors that you would see in modern day life. It had that same general shape to it, and the base of this uh, place that the bricks would have been burned to make the statue would have been made there in the fiery furnace. So it would have been a part, it would have been something that people would have seen, they would have experienced, they would have seen how it was used. Next verse, verse 7, therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, this is people from Babylon, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously 
accused the Jews. This is the language that says they want to chew them up and spit them out. They want to see them destroyed. Verse 9, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, and these guys will just make you want to punch them in the face. Like, they're such a group of tattletales, and they're like trying to speak all syrupy to the king and make the other people feel bad. O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the no shock here. Sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, king, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now watch this accusation that they're making. They are saying to the king, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't pay any attention to you. Is that true? No, it's probably not true at all. From everything we've seen from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they actually respect and honor the king. They've done great work. They've been elevated to positions of power there in, in the Babylonian Empire. They're doing good things. They're paying attention to the king, but they're not going to break the first two commandments because what you find reflected in this verse are the very first two commandments that the people of Israel would have been given, that you're going to have no other gods before me, and you're not going to make idols and bow down to them. This is not a gray peripheral side issue. This is at the core of what it meant to be the people of God. That you're going to have one God and you are not going to make other idols or follow after other gods. You're going to commit yourself to him. They're, the very core of their faith is being tested. This would be like if someone came up to you and said, you cannot confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is not a gray issue that people debate about. This is at the very core of their faith. Watch what happens after this. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. We're not sure if he's furious at the tattletale guys or if he's furious at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now that'll become very clear here in a little bit. But he brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. Point of clarification here. Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have cared if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego continued to worship their own gods as long as they worshiped his god first. So they wouldn't have, he wouldn't have cared. Like, keep worshiping Yahweh or whoever that god is in the land that you came from. Keep doing all those things but you have to worship this God first. In, in this world, it would not have been looked down on for you to have many gods and to combine many gods together. Not that different than our own world. Combine all the religions, combine all the gods together, that's totally fine, but you can't go around saying there's just one true God. You, you, can't, you can't do that. Nothing can stand before King Nebuchadnezzar. Nothing can stand before his God. So worship the state and then add all the gods you want to it after. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, uh, no, <laughs> that's not the way this works. That, this is not what it means to worship the one true God. Verse 15, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. 
But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar will regret that question. (laughs) He will get the answer to that question very quickly. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. What they're setting up here is they are saying, it doesn't matter what threat you put against us, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not worshiping your gods. We know the one true God. We have given ourselves to him, and we know two things. Number one, if he wants to, he is absolutely able to take us out of this circumstance. He is absolutely able to take this fiery furnace away and to rescue us from this. And what we know for sure is no matter what happens, he will deliver us from your hand. You don't control our lives. We are not your slaves. We worship the one true God. He can change our circumstances, and he will absolutely be faithful no matter what those circumstances are. And then watch this phrase. This is the phrase we're aiming for in verse 18, or verse 17, no, 18. Verse 18. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That's the phrase I want you to hone in on. But if not. So in the summer of 1940, there were estimates of somewhere around 350,000 British troops that were trapped at Dunkirk. Uh, You may have read about Dunkirk, watched the movie related to Dunkirk. There's a British naval officer who realizes they are in big, big trouble in this situation. And he needs to get word out that they need help to be rescued, but he has to be careful about how he gets the word out. And that British naval officer sends out a message that has three words, but if not. On the other end, when that message was received, immediately they tied that message back to Daniel chapter 3, verse 18, and they knew that those soldiers were in a position that unless God came through, there was no way they were getting out. And for some reason, the Axis powers stopped advancing, and it provided time for people to come in and rescue over 300,000 people out of that situation at Dunkirk. The key phrase in that story is, but if not. The first phrase I want you to go home with today about having faith that will last through whatever fire you deal with in your life is the phrase, but if not. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says that even if the fig trees don't bud, and even if the olive crop fails, and even if the grapevines produce no fruit, and even if the fields produce no harvest, and even if there's no sheep in the pen or no cattle in the stalls, yet we will praise you. Yet we will rejoice in our Lord. Here's what this means for your life. Even if the job situation doesn't come through that you want, even if the family member that you love doesn't find that physical healing that they want, even if the relationship that seems to be falling apart isn't repaired, 
even if everything that you expected for your life doesn't pan out, but if not, we will still worship and serve the Lord. We will still praise him. We will still rejoice in him. Do you see how powerful that phrase is? To get to a point in your life that you say, no matter what the circumstances might come, even if those things happen, even if life doesn't go the way I want or expect, I will still worship the Lord. I will not turn from him. I will not go after any other gods because I know that he is able to rescue and I know that he will be faithful to the end. How do you get to that kind of faith? How do you reach that type of faith? Well, you need to have some strong core theology in your life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're faced with this opportunity to compromise, remember, they're teenagers. This is a group of teenagers whose faith is placed on the line and they are able to say, no matter what you do to us, Keen, we will not turn away from the Lord. Because day after day, year after year, from the time that they were little kids in vacation Bible school, they had heard about how good and faithful and loving and powerful their God was. And so when it came to this point to compromise, there was no way they were turning away from the Lord because they knew the God in whom they believed. They knew the God who had saved their people for all of history and who will continue to be faithful in the future. And the other thing that prepares you for these type of situations is just that daily faithfulness when these battles to compromise come into your heart, you may never face, find yourself facing a fiery furnace, but you will find battles in your life every day to compromise, to run after idols, to run after other gods, to desire the approval and the success and the power of this world that causes you to turn away from the Lord, and every single day that you say, no, no, I'm going to stay faithful to the Lord is every day that your faith is strengthened and you're prepared for whatever comes in the future. Let me ask you a question. What is your but if not moment? Has there been a time in your life that you faced a situation and you said, God, unless you come through, I don't know what's going to happen. But if not, but if this situation doesn't go the way they want, I want, if this healing doesn't come, if this relationship doesn't transpire, I'm still going to trust you. I'm still going to praise you. I'm still going to rejoice in your salvation because you are good. People of faith are able to say, but if not. Now watch what happens next. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. When you stand for the Lord, people are not going to be impressed. <laughs> they're, they're actually not going to be impressed. They're going to be angry, and they're going to turn against that. Filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men who were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Watch there. God is able to protect his servants in this story, Nebuchadnezzar's servants, what happens to them? They actually die. Those who would seek to save their lives actually lost their lives, and those who were prepared to lose their life will actually save their life. 
Sounds very much like something Jesus said. You see that transpiring. You see God's salvation working itself out here. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, uh, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Oh, man, those guys just get on your nerves in the story. But uh, he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. The second phrase that we need to learn as the people of God is to say, He is with us. First phrase of faith, but if not, no matter what comes, I'll trust him. Second phrase of faith I want to put in front of you today is he is with us. This story here, what we call this type of scene in the Bible is we often call it a theophany, which is a hundred dollar theology word that just means an appearance of God. Some scholars will say this is an angel or a messenger of God. Other scholars will say we're getting a pre-New Testament appearance of the Son of God, that before he came in flesh, this is the Son of God appearing here. Whatever you want to understand the story as, what we definitely know is it's God's presence with these people. How do you make it through difficult circumstances in your life? No other way than God's presence with you. When you go through the most difficult things in life, to be able to say, to say with faith, he is with us that we serve a God who comes near to us in our times of need, not a God who stays far, far away. And this is what you'll have to fight in your life. What you will have to fight in your life is a mentality that says when life is not going well and I feel far from the Lord, that that somehow means that God is far away. Can I tell you that in your darkest moment, God has never been nearer to you than he is in those moments. When it feels like nothing's happening, when it feels like he's far away, that you would know that he is with you. That even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. The story of Joseph in Egypt. How is Joseph able to make it through that situation? Because God was with him. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. The story of faith is learning to be aware of God's presence even when you're going through a situation where it doesn't feel like God is with you at the moment. The person of faith is able to look at a situation and say, no, he's with us. He is with us right in the middle of this situation. Let me encourage you this week. Practice being aware of God's presence in your life. Nothing will change your week more this week then continually being aware of God's presence with you, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, that God is with you. But if not, we will trust him. He is with us. We will trust him. Look at how the story ends. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. Here we go again. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. What a cool phrase that is. There's a little play that's going on at, at the beginning there of verse 27. 
at the beginning of this chapter. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar gathered everybody together to worship the statue, to worship before the statue. And now at the end of the chapter, he's gathering everybody back around to see what God has done in the lives of these men. Sometimes in the world, people will be gathered together and amazed at an idol, amazed at something that's happening in the world. And there are other times that people will be gathered to see how great God is. When he works a work of salvation in someone's life, when he transforms someone's life, when you see faith on display, people will be gathered together to see what's going on there. What's different about that situation? The hair of their heads was not singed. This picks up on Jesus' wording in, in the New Testament that not one hair on your head, that God knows everything about you. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come up on them. If you've been around those who are involved in firefighting, my dad was on the volunteer fire department for our little community. The smell of fire is next to impossible to get out of your clothes. It, frankly, just to get off your skin, but especially out of, out of your clothes. And to know that they have gone through this burning furnace and there's no smell of fire on them. That God's salvation is complete and perfect. Verse 28 Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Here's the third phrase I want you to go home with. People of faith are able to declare Jesus as Lord. What do I want you to say over and over and over again this week? But if not, even if this circumstance doesn't go the way I want, I'm going to trust him. Over and over this week, I'm going to say, he is with us. God is present and active in my life. And number three, you're going to say, Jesus is Lord. What you find here at the end is how overcome, overwhelmed Nebuchadnezzar is about the devotion that he sees in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to their God. Philippians chapter 2. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down and worship and confess this false God, they gave their devotion to the one true God. The people of God today, the people of faith, are defined as those who say Jesus is Lord. So as we get ready to wrap up, let me ask you very directly, is that the confession of your life? Where are you looking for salvation? Where are you putting your trust What are you living for? Who are you living for? That the people of God would be those who over and over and over again say, Jesus is Lord. Here in just a minute, we are going to gather together and take of the Lord's Supper. We're going to take these elements, the bread and the juice, remembering that Jesus gave himself for us so that we could have salvation. When you take of that bread and that juice, you, in that act, are declaring Jesus is Lord. 
He is the one that I worship. He is the one who saves me. He is the one who is faithful. He is the one that I put my trust in. As the people of God, that is our confession. And if that's not true of your life, if you've never made that confession before, if you've never shown that through baptism, if you've never shown that through being a part of a church, that you would respond today. That after we've seen the doxology, that you would come down here and pray with someone. We want to pray with you. We want to see you take that step of faith. This week, three phrases. Write them down. Put them on a post-it note. Stick them on your mirror. Stick them in your car. But if not, he is with us. Jesus is Lord. Let me pray for you and we're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper together. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. God, thank you for how these stories that we associate with Vacation Bible School and Sunday School, thinking about how we learn about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we learn about the fiery furnace, we learn about the four figures who are there in the fire and knowing what it is for you to be with us. God, help us to never grow tired of these Bible stories that we learn in Vacation Bible School and Sunday School. They hold such incredible truth and power. God, I know that there are people here today who are facing really, really hard circumstances. And God, they have an idea of how they want life to go. God, we pray for physical healing. We pray for relationships to be healed. We pray for jobs to come through. God, we desire for those things to happen. But even if they don't go the way we want, God, help us to trust you, to know that you are good, that you are faithful, and that you will provide perfect salvation for all of eternity. And God, I pray if there's anybody here who has a really hard time trusting you, Maybe they're turned off by religion. They're turned off by the very idea of being in church like this. God, would you let them know that you are at work in their life? Would you let them know that Jesus died to bring salvation? And God, that today for the first time ever that they would say Jesus is Lord. God, don't let us give our lives to anything else except the one who gave his life for us to make that confession together even as we gather around the table now for the Lord's Supper. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.